Let us pray. Father, help us to walk by faith, sure, firm, certain trust in you, and not by sight. You are our all in all. So now, Lord, come among us by your spirit and speak to us from your word, applying the truth of your eternal word to our hearts and lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You may be seated at home if you're standing. And um, I invite you to take out your Bibles or devices and turn to our New Testament reading from Romans chapter 5. We'll be focusing on verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 5 this morning. What I want to talk to you about specifically today is a biblical picture of hope, a biblical picture of what hope is and what this hope looks like when it is lived out. I think it's especially an important subject right now in light of all of the things we're dealing with in our culture, in our society, in our church, and in the world around us. So looking at Romans 5, it's interesting to note that the word hope is mentioned three times in five verses. In verses 1 through 5, hope is mentioned three times. Now the word hope is used in many ways in our culture. Sometimes it's used like wishful thinking. I hope it works out. I hope things go well. Hope can also be filled at times with anxiety or even superstition. When people say things like, well, we'll just have to hope for the best. So often when we hear people talking about hope, it's all about them or it's all about us, about their thoughts, their positive thinking, if you will, their wants, their desires, their wishes. But the hope that the Bible talks about, the hope that God's word speaks of, has nothing to do with this sort of thinking. And quite frankly, in one sense, it has very little to do with us or other people at its core. Because God's word here describes to us what real hope, hope with substance looks like. And the fact is this, that genuine hope grows out of and requires a right relationship with God. This is the foundation of true hope. Look at verses 1 through 2 of Romans chapter 5 with me again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which, in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. St. Paul says here, we have peace with God. He's not talking about some simple temporal inner sense of peace or well-being. What Paul is talking about here is a right relationship with God through faith. And because of that relationship, we now have peace with God. We're no longer God's enemies. Instead, he has adopted us as his beloved children, and he calls us his friends. And it is only when we know him in this way through Jesus Christ that we can begin to know and experience true hope, biblical hope, as something real in our lives. Why is this? Why is this so? It is because true hope has an object or a focus. 
And that focus is the most high God, the one true God himself. So when I say or you say that we have hope, true Bible-based hope, I or you, we are making a confession of trust in God who is the author of true hope. It is about him, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the true and firm foundation of our hope. All of our hope is and must be in him and in him alone. God is the foundation of our true hope. Secondly, this hope we have causes us to rejoice. There's both a future and a present dimension of our hope. First, we have the hope that causes us to rejoice in God's future promises. As St. Paul writes here in verse 2, the second portion, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you rejoice? Do I? Do we rejoice together in the hope of the glory that is yet to come? Do, you, do we get excited about God's future promises? The promise that his glory will be feel, fully revealed as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 5. Now in many ways, the future hope of glory is the easy part. But Paul doesn't stop there in Romans. Because we are also to rejoice in the hope in the present. We are to rejoice in this hope in the present regardless of circumstances. Specifically, we are also to rejoice even in our sufferings because they can ultimately strengthen us in genuine, God-given, God-breathed hope. Look at verses 3 through 4 of chapter 5 with me. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Now, I've got to be the first to tell you and to confess, I don't have this mastered. And if you do, please come talk to me. Far from it, I don't have this mastered. Not that I really, in this life, suffer in a significant sense in comparison to so many people around the world. I don't or have not to this point in my life. The fact is, most of us hearing this message this morning have it pretty good in the scope of life and the scope of things around the world. Yet, there is a reality here. Life isn't always easy. Life can be hard. In so many ways, this is a hard season. People facing soaring unemployment. Loved ones with prolonged illnesses and death and bereavement. Family challenges. The whole current COVID crisis and all that that has led to in our culture. Challenges due to Racial barriers and unrest and things that we're dealing with that are hurtful and painful and unjust in our culture. Challenges we're facing even right now in the life of All Saints Church. And I could go on and on. All difficult things. Life isn't always easy. And despite how some Christians might try to portray the Christian life, every day is not lived on the mountaintop. Yes, there are those mountaintop experiences, those mountaintop moments in our walk. And they are important because they allow us to see far ahead. When you stand on the mountain, you can see way across the horizon and across the valleys into the far distance. But when we stand on the mountaintop, we get a 
clear glimpse also that there are valleys, sometimes deep, rough valleys, rough crevasses between each of those mountaintops. And to recognize that and to get from one mountaintop to the other, sometimes that's incredibly painful. It's hard. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. Yet if we're honest and we remain open to what God is doing and wants to do in and through us, sometimes it's in those valleys, actually more often than not, it is in those valleys of life where we can experience the greatest growth in our walk with God, where he moves us to deeper levels of trust, where he moves us to clinging to him because there's nothing else that we can hold fast to. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. The foundation of our hope is the one true and living God. Both in the future, but also in the present realities in which we walk through. Even in the midst of the valley. Even in the midst of the trials. Even in the midst of pain and difficulty and sadness. And what I want to do as we move through this sermon today is bring some application to wrap things up today by giving several points regarding what biblical hope first is not, and then finally, what biblical hope is. So let's talk about what biblical hope is not. First of all, biblical hope is not based on our circumstances. Think of the example of Abraham as described by St. Paul in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. In hope he believed, speaking of Abraham, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Writing of this passage from Romans in the fourth century, St. John Chrysostom says this, Abraham's hope was a hope that was against man's hope in hope which is of God. Biblical hope is not a denial of reality, not about Abraham confessing or claiming something as if his hope depended upon the power of his confession. From the human point of view, Abraham had every reason to give up. But Abraham's hope was not based on his circumstances or what he did or said. His hope, like our hope, must be was based on the security of God's eternal and unchanging promises. Biblical hope is not based on circumstances. Second, biblical hope is not based on feelings. I love it just as much as any of you, as much as any believer, when I feel or clearly sense God's presence, and I know it's God's presence. But true Biblical, God-given hope doesn't rise or fall with our feelings or our emotions. The fact is, brothers and sisters, in our human frailty and our sinfulness, 
we can't always trust our feelings. It's a very dangerous thing sometimes as we hear people, or I've heard people say to new believers that, well, you just need to trust your feelings and, and feel God. It's dangerous to tell them that because so often in those, those early weeks and months of coming to true and living faith in Christ, yes, they sense God's presence in such a profound and real way, and he's at work transforming them. But if we tell them to go on their feelings, what happens when those feelings are gone? Does that somehow mean that God has left them or that God has left us? Does that somehow mean that God's promises are null or void? And God's word tells us absolutely not. We can't trust our feelings when we can't feel it, when we're in the valley, when we don't know which way to turn and we don't know how to take even the next step. God's promises are still absolutely true because they are based on the eternal truth of his word and on his unchanging character. Third, and very briefly, biblical hope is not based on the opinions or the activities of other people. If we watch other people, if we listen to the opinions of other people that are contrary to the word of God, if we watch their activities rather than anchoring ourselves in the truth of God and the voice of his spirit, we will constantly be led astray and led away from that hope that God calls us to live in as a reality. Fourth, Biblical hope, hear this, this is very important. Biblical hope is not a guarantee that everything in life will work out the way that we want it to, that I want it to, that you want it to. We see through a very limited lens. We see the small picture, but God in his infinite wisdom and his all-knowing power, God sees the big picture. God has greater purposes. God, despite when it doesn't feel like it, has our best interest at heart and he's working in and through us to advance his kingdom. Think of the example of Joseph, unjustly thrown into prison, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and yet he could still say in the end, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So these are the things that biblical hope is not. Not a guarantee that everything in life will go the way we want it to. So let's talk what biblical, about what biblical hope is. And the first principle we see in God's word is this. Biblical hope is based in God. Biblical hope, really, brothers and sisters, isn't about you or about me. It is about God. It's not about what we want God to do for us or how we think God ought to bless us. Hope, biblical hope, God-breathed hope causes us, hear this, causes us to love God simply for who he is. And our hope rests in who he is. Anything less than that misses the biblical mark. I like what the late Trappist monk Thomas Merton wrote about this. If we love God for something less than himself, we cherish a desire that can fail us. We run the risk of hating him if we do not get what we hope for. Let me read that again. If we love God for something less than himself, we cherish a desire that can fail us. 
we run the risk of hating him if we do not get what we hope for. Do we, do I, do you love God simply for who he is, for himself, rather than what we want him to do for us? As we love him in that way, as we love him solely and singularly for who he is, we will be strengthened in hope. And we will be stirred and excited to participate in the work of God in our lives and in those around us, even when it's hard. Second, what is biblical hope? Biblical hope is a gift from God. A gift of God which is part of our salvation, part of our redemption. When the fullness of God's grace becomes a reality in our lives, he pours hope into us and he renews us in his hope. As Colossians 1.27 reminds us, it is Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That is the gift. Christ in us through God's grace, the hope of glory. Thirdly, biblical hope is patient and it is disciplined. Again, verse 3, suffering produces character. That requires patience. Enduring suffering by God's grace requires endurance. That kind of hope, hope that produces endurance. It waits when we don't seem, when the answers don't seem to come because God is still at work yet even though we can't see it. And we continue to know, we continue what we know to do from God's instruction, from God's word. When we don't feel it, that's that discipline of the Christian life. We continue to pray. We continue to seek the face of God. We continue to listen to his voice, even when his voice in those seasons might seem distant. We allow God to search our hearts. And those difficult seasons produce endurance. It means laying aside our calculations and our timetables. It means recognizing the limits of our knowledge and our understanding and learning somehow by God's grace to be joyful in the waiting, waiting even, even in the hard places, submitting ourselves to God's plan and the life that he has appointed for us. And as we submit ourselves to God in that way, he builds his character in us and he strengthens us in hope that comes from him. Fourth and finally, biblical hope is confident. It's not fearful. It's not anxious. It knows, biblical hope knows that God is at work accomplishing his will, accomplishing his plan, accomplishing his purposes. And included in God's purposes, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when in the moment we can't see it, we have the assurance that God's purposes are for our good and for our best interest as his children. And that should give us peace. That should give us a sense of God-breathed divine security because he lives in us and in him we live and move and have our being. Brothers and sisters, we can be certain of the promises of God. 
we can be certain of the hope that comes not from this world, that doesn't come from the people around us, even other believers, but comes from the throne room of God himself. And we can be anchored in that hope as we look to him, trusting in his unchanging character through any storm that comes our way in life. Julian of Norwich, who wrote in the 14th and 15th centuries, said this, Because of our good Lord's tender love to all who shall be saved, he quickly comforts them, saying, and some of you have heard this before, but listen again, the cause of all this pain is sin, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This is the hope that we have even in trial, even in the valley, even in the dark place, that through our God, through his tender love, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. We can indeed rejoice in the present. We can indeed rejoice in the promise of a bright future through Jesus Christ regardless of the circumstances, because all of God's promises are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. And in him, all will be well. I want to close with a prayer that I pray from time to time. It's a very ancient English prayer. It comes from a book called the Sarum Primer, which was a prayer book used in the area around Salisbury, England in the 13th century. But I think it applies to what we're talking about today and biblical hope. And that we're asking God to be in our minds and in our being and to permeate us with his hope and his presence regardless of circumstances. So I'd ask you to bow your heads as we pray this prayer together. God be in my head and in my understanding. God, be in my eyes and in my looking. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. God, be in my heart and in my thinking. God, be at mine end and at my departing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.